We'll start with a nice word on Parshas Nusoy. The Pusik says, V'levnaika hosloi nusam, k'yavut z'akodesh lahem b'kusif yisui. Rashi explains that they didn't get the agulas, they didn't get the wagons, because they were carrying the uran and the shulcham, the kaila makadoshim, and that's why they had to do it on their shoulders. So in the Kizvah Ramam, he brings a nice thought, a short gedank from the Kabrina. The Kabrina said, I'll say it first in Yiddish, M'dav harav ba'avdes. M'dav harav ba'avdes. A person has to put a lot of koiches into Avetz Hashem. But the raya that you don't have to do more than that is because the uran was noisas noisav. We know that the uran, Chazal teach us, it was carrying those who were carrying it. Right? It looked like they were carrying the uran, but really the uran was carrying them. But from deswegen, I'm a graft interstellen on the axle. In other words, even though the uran was technically carrying those who were carrying it, that was something, uh, something about the uran, but it had to be a kusif yesui. You had to put your shoulder there and try to carry it, and then it carried itself. And he said, this is a general idea when it comes to Avetz Hashem, where a person has to do his, put in the work, try his best, and know that he's not doing anything. He's not have to do more than that, he just has to try. And it's Hashem that's really making things happen. And this is a general concept in life, Bechlal, obviously when it comes to anything. Gashmi, Yisruchni, is anything a person is trying to do, anything a person is trying to accomplish. If not for Hashem helping him, he's not doing anything. And he's still supposed to do. So the lesson, to both know to rely on Hashem and not rely on ourselves, but at the same time to know that we have to do whatever we could do, is a very important lesson. And I think, especially when it comes to Chinuch Abunam, as I'll soon be discussing, um, this is definitely a very, very important um, lesson. The, the paradox, the, the understanding and accepting that um, you have to do what you could do, and you're expected to do what you could do, and you should be invested as much as you could in doing what you could do, and know that you could only, that's all you could do. And when you do it, Hashem takes care of the rest, and, and not just the rest, but He takes care of everything, and that's uh, something that, that we all have to Remember, I'm going to read a letter or email that I got that's uh, a bit lengthy just because it touches on different points, but um, I'll try to zoom in on the questions. Okay, thank you as always for your thought-provoking and inspiring essays. Okay, this is uh, about a written essay, and every time I mention online um, that people can sign up for the essays, I keep on getting more requests, I'll mention it again. Whoever wants could send an email to Parsha Lessons. P-A-R-S-H-A-L-E-S-S-O-N-S at lahair.org L-E-H-A-I-R dot O-R-G and Amit Hashem you will get a nice written essay every week on the topics of Shalom Bayez and Chinuch. I understand that the question that you shared in the essay of Parshva Yishlach is one that someone else asked but the example this woman brought made me feel uneasy. It is 100% also for you to drink or eat Chol of Akum there's no such thing as something that's Chol of Akum or Pas Akum that has a Heksha. The appropriate terminology would be Chalav Stam. According to Chesidish Shittas, it is still considered Treif. And for one who grew up with those Shittas, choosing to rely on the Rabbanu Moholdes Mutter would be downgrading standards, but it's still not Chalav Akum. Okay. Being taught that the internet is not kosher, is, a very, is not a very strong foundation for appropriate internet use, usage or abstinence. And unfortunately, sometimes it is that very teaching, the blanket, fearful approach, that causes some children or adults to swing to the opposite extreme once they have the freedom to do so. And again, being trained, quote-unquote, never to miss Tefillah B'Tzibar is not really a good reason to continue davening with a minion three times a day forever. I appreciate the approach you took in answering, especially in noting the difference between halacha versus what's not halacha, and in the importance of understanding and accepting. Sadly, it sounds like this man has fallen to a cultural Yiddishkeit, FFH, from from habit, as they call it, that doesn't really have Hashem and having a relationship with him in the picture. His wife pushing him to hold up her standards won't solve the problem, just as she can't choose for him, she can't build his relationship with Hashem for him. Okay, that was the feedback. That being said, I have two questions. I would love to hear your perspective on what we can do to, number one, 
help our children cultivate their own relationship with Hashem. When they're young, they're too little to hop. And by the time they're old enough to truly begin to develop that relationship, there are many other factors at play. And we, their parents, are no longer the decisive forces in their lives. And number two, how can we truly accept someone with whom we have a close relationship, for example, a sibling, when they do things that are out of sync with Torah and Torah Shkufa? I know it's coming from a place of pain. I know I can't control them or make them do anything. And of course, I love them and doubt them for them. But when they're doing, but what they're doing is disgusting, saddening, a waste of koiches. How do I accept them despite their actions? Okay. So, let me just touch upon a little bit of the feedback first and give feedback on the feedback, and then we'll talk about the questions that were asked. Okay, you, you pointed out something about chalostam, chalavakam, different ways to approach things, and you appreciated... Um, noting the difference between what is halacha and what's not. So I, I want to mention that there are different approaches to this. Different approaches to this. I, I did, and I do sometimes take the approach, especially when talking to adults, especially when talking to people that are asking questions anyway, um, of, of pointing out the difference between halacha versus minig, versus chimre, versus inyan, versus masoira, versus um, just some made-up stuff and things like that. And, and very often it's very helpful. It's helpful for people to know that certain things have stronger reasoning to it, and it really is a standard, and really is a messiah, and something to um, stand by. And some certain certain things are just uh, relatively insignificant. And then there are those in between. Everything has its level of importance. Okay. On the other hand, I just want to mention that that that's not that's not not everybody agrees to presenting things that way. So I'm just playing devil's advocate because you're complimenting the approach I took. I just want to mention that not everyone takes that approach, and I don't either always take that approach, and I'll tell you why. There's dangers in both approaches. In other words, it's dangerous. There are dangers involved. I won't say it's dangerous. There are dangers involved in trying to convince your children that every minig you have and every Indian that your Zayda had or anything that you once thought might be important um, is really a deraisa, and it's, it's zero tolerance, and it has to happen. Whoever does anything otherwise is a goy. There's a lot of danger to that. Um, the simplest being that as they get older, they realize that it's not the way you said it, and 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 you know they they start doubting and questioning everything you taught them. Another another thing is that when they see that everything is um, a must, and here and there they'll fall through the cracks. People have challenges, and automatically they'll feel like okay, so I'm a failure. If I'm a failure. I must be a failure if I'm not eating shlis l'chala after Pesach. So so I might as well eat chometz on Pesach and things like that, which unfortunately. You know, this is not my own idea. This is a this idea of v'shtayit. You know, this 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 is brought down that sometimes people will confuse things like that, and that's why sometimes it's important to tell someone, you know, you're not a goy, and this thing that's hard for you is really only a chimer or only a minig, and it's really not so important. And be careful with the important stuff because those are important things like that. Um, so so make believe everything is a must and mandatory has its, its challenges. On the other hand, when you're too open and too clear about the fact that certain things have to happen, certain things, they don't have to happen. It would be nice if we do it, but you don't have to. It, it's not the way it should be. It's not how we present Yiddishkeit. Yiddishkeit is not presented, um, you know, Chazal teaches, I know it's a little different, the idea. I'm just saying, have a b'mitzvah You don't want to decide what's important and what's not important. Certainly not when it comes to a deraisa drabunan, which is a common mistake people make. Well, it's only a drabunan. There's no such thing. Deraisas and drabunan are all the same for us. Uh, we don't have a choice, unless, unless the halucha says differently, whether it's dealing with a case of a sufik and things like that. But in general, we don't have the liberty to decide, okay, I'll do the rice, not the rabunas, that would be ridiculous, and chazor shulam. Nobody should think like that. But even when it comes to minig and masoira and inyunam, when it all becomes voluntary and it's, okay, so if you want to, it's a nice thing to do, but you don't really have to, it's not in the shachanurech, 
that's very dangerous when it comes to giving over Yiddishkeit. And a lot of people have challenged Yiddishkeit over the years by doing that, by trying to disprove everything that's not really a halucha, doesn't say you have to, and even if it does say you have to, well, the halucha was only made up at a certain point and doesn't say it anywhere before that, and it's not really well sourced, and there's different opinions about it. It's very dangerous, very dangerous. There's a well-known Shiva Sarajba where the Rajba talks about um, something that the Zakaina, something the Babas said. If your Babas said something, take it seriously and you shouldn't be Mazalzal in it. And somebody who's being Mazalzal in that, you know, is, is questionable. So all I mean to say is that as much as sometimes we like to present things um, in a way that, you know, makes more sense and don't take everything to an extreme and this is Usa, this is Mitter, this is allowed, you have to be careful with that. You have to be careful with that. So in this alone, you have, to, you have to know how to talk to children about it. You have to know how to talk, how to, talk to people who are struggling about it. You have to know who to, how to talk to, about, uh, to people who already violated things, to know how to set them on a track. And that's something that always takes a lot of set the Shmaya um, with some cycle Yusha. So just, that was just my feedback on how to present things about how important or how severe or how uh, whatever something is. You know, it's just, it's, you should never go to any extreme. Never go to any extreme. Don't, don't be too clear about what really is or isn't important and don't be too clear uh, the other way around that everything is, is equally important and things like that. Okay. With that said, and there's more to say about that, but I'll suffice with that for now. Now, your question, your first question was, how do we, inst- how do we instill at a young age um, a relationship to cultivate a relationship with Hashem? And, and like you said, and you point out very rightfully so, that when they're, too, when they're young, they're too young to chap, and by the time they're old enough to chap, what I mean... Um, I'm not the one that anyone that's controlling their minds and their feelings and, and their attitudes and things like that. And I think I think you got the point. You got the point. There's no magic. There really is no magic. Um, there's nothing you could do. It doesn't mean there's nothing to do. There's nothing you could do that's going to control the outcome of a child and his relationship with Hashem. Nothing you could do to control that. You can contribute. You could do it. You could do a lot of things. But to, to look for the magic um, um, schlissel. You know, uh, how do I? What will I do? What good move will I say? What what uh, what's the right approach? And this will help a kid go on the right track and be close to Hashem and and have a, a meaningful connection and not be challenged by. It doesn't work like that in real life. Now, most people know that you could barely do it for yourself, but those are the people that sometimes try to blame the fact that they didn't have it when they started, so they'll start giving it to the children younger. So it comes from a very good place where people feel like, you know, I didn't get the right Yisoyis, I'm going to make sure my kids have it. If it's a feeling that you're trying to give uh, about your kids having it and you didn't, uh, something you didn't have and, and being, the, that's wonderful. But what happens is sometimes what people don't realize is instead of working on myself and controlling myself and being more committed and more erlich and more uh, stronger about my own Avot Hashem, okay, I, I could justify why I'm not doing great because I, I went to a cheder where they didn't, they didn't instill the right um, values, but I'll start doing it to my son. But I'm not just doing it to my son because I want him to have what I didn't have. I'm going to start controlling him and being more uh, critical of him and being more obsessed with what he's doing and his choices in life because I'm giving him all the right tools. How come he's not doing it right? Instead of, oh, 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 slow. You have to take care of yourself. You have to make sure you're doing the right thing. If you want to offer your children things that you didn't have, that's wonderful. But just remember that just like, just like you can't control yourself, you can't control other people. You're a lot less in control of other people. I think it's very important. And, and this is where we get stuck sometimes as parents who want to control and want to be there. And in a good, in a, like I said, in a good way, we want to control the outcome and make sure that our children are elch and happy and healthy and emotionally and spiritually and psychologically and mentally and financially are very taken care of. And, and there's only so much you can do for someone. And it's important to remember another thing. Chinuch is, is about teaching. It's about teaching. It's about educating. It's about teaching. It's about offering. It's about helping. It's not about controlling the outcome. 
It's not about training the kid and making sure and 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 that's not that's not what chinuch is. Chinuch is about teaching. Now, of course, you want to again, you want to teach in the right way. And there's a lot of things to learn about teaching correctly. But it doesn't mean that that chinuch is finding the way that works and is foolproof. And there's no such thing. There's no such thing. There, there was no, there was no proven method that's 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 always successful. And you can be sure that if there was such a thing, everybody would know of it. Everybody would be doing it as hard as it is. So it's not just that it's too hard for some people. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. It's it's not a sad, um, uh, depressing reality. It's it's just a plain reality. You know, every moisid and every kahila and every mahalach and every everyone comes up with their thing that they want to do, and everyone means well, and everyone's trying to avoid or circumvent um, different problems that that they've seen in the past. And some are matzliach in certain areas, and some are not, and some are in others. And there's no one size fits all. There's no one foolproof method at all. One of the simplest reasons is because just like you have your own issues with your own yatahara, old-fashioned yatahara we don't talk about so often, um, your child has as well. No matter what you're going to tell your kid, no matter how you're going to set him up, no matter how you're going to try to help him, and, and many people have tried different things. They tried raising kids, dafka, in a smaller community, in a bigger community, dafka at home, dafka in school, dafka in shul, dafka exposing them, dafka isolating them. There's no foolproof method. There's no foolproof method. There's no such thing. The yatahara is all over the place. He doesn't need a special entry card anywhere in any system in any in any environment, and and you're basically trying to um, fight something that that Lavdafke you could or Lavdafke he could or Lavdafke anyone could. This is it's very important to remember that again not not to become depressed and hopeless. We'll talk about what you could do, but it's important to remember what you're looking for. You're looking for something that I could do at a young age, young enough, but he's not getting it. That's right, you got it. There's, there's nothing you could do to to guarantee any kind of result at all. There's this uh, quote that I've repeated many times from Rabbi Simon Jacobson. Simon Jacobson says something, I, I found it to be brilliant, and I, I keep on being reminded of it. Um, he said something like, he said it in two different ways. I've heard it from him. One was about uh, about parents. Uh, let, let's start with this, about children and their parents. When you're young, you think you're smarter than your parents. As you get older, you realize, oh, they're not so stupid. And when you get even older, you realize that your parents were smarter than you. That was one line that he said. Another time I heard it from him a little differently, and that is when people are young, they 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 see all the faults in the system, the chenech system we call it, the system, and a lot of other things, the culture and everything. As they get older, and and they want to make a new system, and they want to you know they want to challenge things and and redo it and come up with a better way to do things better than than the way that's being done. As they get older, they get a little a little less enthusiastic about that, and they they just make peace with it and say you know it is what it is. And when they get even older, they realize that the way the system is running is, is most often the best way that could have been done. Now, I know a lot of people will take issue with that, but let, let me just tell you my point. I've seen many people, um, I've seen many people that, are, that are very unhappy with what we call the system. Many people. Whether it's educators, presenters, speakers, um, you know, people who... And I'm not talking about people who bash the system. I'm not talking about people who are negative and, and, and upset at our system. I'm talking about people within the system. I'm talking about... Rabbanim and Dashanim and people who, who mean well and I would wish things would be better. Did any one of them yet come up with a system that's really better? No. I, could, I, I know, I'm thinking now, and I know of many who over the years always saw the faults in the system and the faults in the Moises and the faults in the Chinuch and the faults and everything. And they were not, they, on a small scale, maybe they had a certain message that they were able to give over differently. But on a big scale, on a, on a, on a public um, scale, were they able to do, were they able, able to really do things differently? They weren't. 
Now they might be able to justify and explain why they weren't able to, or they might explain why they think they were able to. But when you look into it, and again, I'm not saying that everyone's the same. I'm not saying that nobody has a better way of doing things. I'm talking in general terms. In general terms. I've seen, I've seen those, and again, I'm thinking of quite a few names in my head. Um, I've seen people who were upset at what was going on, started doing things differently, and then were getting frustrated when people weren't, weren't working alone because I'm doing it the right way. How come it's not working? Instead of realizing... Maybe it's not the right way. Maybe there is no better way. Maybe you're always going to bump into challenges. Maybe people are not robots. Maybe there's, maybe we're not dealing with snowmen that you just form and shape. Maybe there's the same Yetzirah everywhere. Maybe the same reason the other system wasn't working. It won't work here either. Maybe maybe you can't have that individualized, one-on-one, perfect setting where everyone's always going to get, get it right and everyone's going to always thrive. It doesn't work like that in real life. There are real challenges. Now, of course, there are mistakes that could be avoided and there are things that should not, and there are systems that are worse than others. I'm just saying in general, I think it's important to remember that. And, 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 and like I said, the reason is there are so many outside factors that we're competing with. Every parent, every educator, every environment, every culture, every community, there's so many outside factors we're competing with. There's so many inside factors you're competing with, which let's, again, call the Etzahara, who's inside and and there's, there's there's so much influence that there's no guarantee you you can't you can't you can't outmaneuver all that in a way that you know that I said it I did it I set it up and now everything it doesn't work like that in real life I think I think it's very important for people to to, to I don't want to say accept it because that sounds like we're just you know depressingly uh, accepting reality and surrendering to the fact that we have so little influence I'm saying in general when you look for the magic button and keep on on being upset at those who didn't come up with the magic button. I, I think that's where people are, are definitely making mistakes, um, and and I, I and, and yeah, when people look back, see here's also where it gets confusing. When you look back, that Monday morning quarterback attitude of explaining yesterday's um, failure, you know why the Monday morning quarterback? You know why Sunday they lost the game because they didn't do it like that. Oh, when did you realize that? After the fact. Okay, that's wonderful. Um, if you if you give them that advice for next time, you think they'll win the game? Or next time, or something else? So it's so easy to look back at anyone who's either successful or not successful and explain why they had a certain outcome. And again, I'm not talking about the, the, the noticeable or blatant uh, mistakes people make or the blatant um, good moves people make. I'm talking in general. In general, you see a family that, Baruch Hashem, wonderful children, a lot of nachas. It's very easy to say, you know why they have so much nachas? This mother woke up early and, and prepared her kids breakfast and, and she was there for them when they came off the bus and, and the father, you know... You give a whole long list of explanations after the fact. After the fact, you give a whole long list of explanations. Now, somebody will ask you, you know, it's interesting because one kid in that family is not doing so well. Why? Another explanation. In other words, could you tell me in advance that if that's what somebody does, they'll have only nachas from their children? And if I show you somebody else is doing the same thing or the same couple themselves that's struggling with a different kid, is that a guarantee? Everyone knows that it's not. Everyone knows that it's not. Or the father who, who has a lot of nachas from his children because... He learns and he davens and his children see how he means it. You mean to tell me that everyone who learns and davens and looks like he means it has good kids? What happened to Mr. Schwartz? Oh, Mr. Schwartz, because he... Oh, see, again, explanations about the past isn't helping anyone. Or the, the other way, the other way around. You know why this family, unfortunately, doesn't have nachas from the children? Because the Shalom bias wasn't great. Do you mean to really say that... And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that all these factors don't contribute. I'm saying, do you mean to say that all the good kids in town are coming from homes where there was never shown bias issue? And how, come, and how come there are some kids that did come out good? Now, I know there's, again, there's a whole thing about different kids, different nature, different personalities. I talk about it often. My point is just that looking back and seeing what could have been done differently or giving the credit to something, 
but then realizing that this won't guarantee anything in the future. It doesn't work like that in real life. I think that's a very important point. And sometimes you know, people don't want to see that. I think that's why there's so much tefillah um, when it comes to nachas from the children. There's so many tefillahs. There's so much tefillah to be said. There's so much asking Hashem for Shmir Al-Yoyna. There's a Bekanta Abderuv that I mentioned every once in a while about Maluchim that are watching over the children. We ask for a Shmir. There's, there's so little you could do. You can't control the outcome. You can't make the right moves. You even need Siat Dashmaya just to make the right moves. Right? For all you know, the right move is to be there for your children. Oh, now there's someone at home not feeling well. Someone in the hospital comes from. The mother's not there anymore. You, even just to make the right moves, you need Siat Dashmaya. But to overcome all the challenges, influences, the internal, the external, and all the factors that, that, could, that, that shape uh, children and Talmidim and everyone else, and especially when you're dealing with a lot at a time, you know, it's definitely all, um, all Siat Dashmaya. A lot of tefillah, a lot of, a lot of shmir aliyah. You have people making a lot of mistakes and doing well. You have people making a lot of good moves and not doing well. And I'm not going to say that it's random. You don't see any a correlation or any any um, pattern. You do see that when people do the right thing, b'derech klal, Hashem helps. And they're matzliach, b'derech klal. And people who do all the mistakes, they b'derech klal, you know, not matzliach. And you see with everything in life, when it comes to panusa, when it comes to anything, somebody who's making all the wrong moves in panusa, and he doesn't have a job, and he's spending money irresponsibly, and he's not um, thinking about the future, and he's not mindful about how, about his finances, is usually not successful when it comes to Panusa, right? That's a given. You have to be a rocket scientist. Now some people, even with all, making all those mistakes, he wins a lottery, what can you do? There is such a thing. And the other way as well, somebody who's thought through and invests properly and is responsible and uh, you know, does what he should, generally is relatively matzliach. Now does it mean everyone? Of course not. So that's just something to remember. Now, none of the fact that we can't control the outcome absolves anyone from what they should be doing when it comes to chinach. It doesn't absolve anyone from taking Chinech seriously. It doesn't absolve anyone from being the best parents they could be and remembering their shlichas in this world. Right? Like I started off with, you know, the Bakus of Yesui. You, you got to put there, you got to like into the plight, so you got to do what you could do. And, and, and look at Hashem and say, Hashem, I'm trying to help my child cultivate a relationship with you. He's still very young. He doesn't have what I'm saying. Please help me out. Or, Hashem, I'm trying to help my child cultivate a relationship with you and he's already too old for me to be the only influ- influential factor in his life. Please help me out. That's it. So you do do what you could do, and you do try to give over the right messages, and you remember that there's only certain things that you could do, and uh, try to avoid all the bad moves and make all the good moves when it comes to Chanachabunam. So I think that's definitely... Um, and, and unfortunately, unfortunately, I hear from people, again, I'm not, I'm not into the bashing parents, people know that already, but I hear people saying about certain things, Again, when people start blaming everything on their parents and coming up with these, you know, interesting theories, if only my parents would have shown me, you know, that that I don't I don't believe in that much. But sometimes I hear people who are telling me horror stories about the fact that their parents exposed them to extremely um, damaging things, for example, or the parents were just checked out; they weren't even there. Whatever, you know, there are things that you could. There are a lot of mistakes you can make when it comes to chenech and you want to avoid them. Not only because they'll guarantee you good results, but because that's part of your obligation, it's part of your job as a parent to do the right thing. And yes, if you make a lot of big mistakes and you do a lot of bad moves, then obviously it could affect children, not a question. That's, that's part of how Hashem set it up. The fact that some people uh, will anyway turn out good, okay, that's, that's well, everything's yet dishmai, but there's something to... So I, 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 would, I, would mention, um, I would mention five points. Five points. Again, this is very general. Very general, because you asked, you know, what's the best thing you could do for when a child is young? I, I would mention five points 
I, I didn't put enough thought into it to be able to say that these are the five Yesoidus and Chinuch Habonim, but I would say that these are five very, very important points, and I think that whoever wants to take this seriously and wants to do their best, knowing that they still can't guarantee the outcome, I think that these five points might bring out a certain understanding, and they might not be in the right order. I wish I would have more time to prepare for these um, shiram. Point number one, point number one, talk, oh, only because I'm, I'm um, referring to a question about cultivating a relationship with Hashem, which is, which is wonderful words, by the way. Let me, just, let me just throw in there. As adults as well, serving Hashem and cultivating a relationship with Hashem is extremely important that they go together. And the reason why I'm mentioning that in two parts, there are people that just go into the cultivating a relationship with Hashem. I'm a, I have a relationship with Hashem. You know, all the little things that you're supposed to be doing, it's wonderful, but if you don't have a relationship with Hashem, and now it turns into a whole curve thing of having a relationship with Hashem. I don't daven, I don't keep Shabbos, but I have a relationship with Hashem. Now that's ridiculous, I'm not going to go into the whole um, discussion that some Surim talk about. But some people focus too much on the relationship with Hashem without realizing that Hashem tells us how to have a relationship with Him. So if you think you can do it your way and make it very meaningful, a very inspirational, a very you know, personal and you're not going to be doing what Hashem said you should be doing, then that's not a relationship with Hashem. It's a relationship with, with yourself. On the other hand, it's true that if you're just going through the routine and just do, making the moves and, and doing the do and living the life without a relationship, you know, that's a lot of what Chassidus was about, boy, by the way, you know, so you could, you could be checking off all the boxes, but you don't have a relationship with Hashem, is lacking a lot, a lot of meaning, and, and sometimes even most of the meaning. You, you still get a check, and you did what you should, which is which is extremely um, commendable. You get a lot of schar for it, and Hashem is very happy with what you're doing. But without a relationship, it's it's missing a lot of the meaning, and it doesn't last so much. Because if you're doing something out of routine, you know, just and you don't even know what you're doing or why you're doing, then it just becomes a burden as time goes on. And very often, this is part of the issue with chinuchabunim taker. You want your children to have a relationship with Hashem. You want them to mean it. You want them to like it. You want them to feel about it. And if they don't, then it's going to be hard for them later on to keep on making the moves that they're taught to and trained to do if they don't really mean it and it's just habit, like you mentioned. So, with that said, yes, a relationship with Hashem is extremely important. It goes together with actually serving Hashem the way He, te- he teaches us to. And because I'm referring to that question, that's why I, I, I'm coming up with these points. I just wanted to clarify that. So the first part of helping a child have a relationship with Hashem is letting him do it on his terms. Now again, don't take that wrong. Of course, it doesn't mean a child can do whatever he wants or interpret his own, or make up his own way of having a relationship with Hashem. That would be ridiculous. But the famous story about, the famous um, story, I guess you call it, about Rebchem Kanievsky, Saratoira. Right? How did he grow into being the Saratoira? So his father sent him to Yeshiva where they were learning B'iyim. The way his father learned, and he saw that his son wasn't being matliach. Now, some of us, especially like being like the stipler, somebody who's, who had a mahalach in learning, and, and obviously the stipler believed in that mahalach in learning and felt that this would be wonderful for his son as well, son of Balkishan, Chaimke, uh, may have pushed him to do it more and got him a tutor and told him the importance of it and, and not be happy with the way he... And the stipler realized that this is not his son's strength. He's not being matzliach with limba de iam. That doesn't mean he wasn't matzliyev, doesn't mean he was, he was um, you know, chasing the cats in the street. It just means that he saw that he wasn't doing well. He wasn't blossoming, he wasn't thriving, it wasn't his place. And the disciple was smart enough and heilig enough and toiletic enough to know that, okay, maybe that's not his strength, and let him do it his way. And he encouraged him to learn bekiyas, to learn more shitriyazdik, to learn more, more uh, kamas, less eiches, let's call it. And what happened? Rukhan Kanyasi grew up to be the Sara now, interestingly, Rebbechaim Kanyevsky, even Sof Yomav, in other words, even after years of learning Torah and being the grace of Gudladar, 
he was still not the Lamdan and the Amkim. He wasn't. It wasn't his style. But his Bekiyas and Torah took him so far, obviously, that he knew everything and he was able to learn everything in his own way. My point is just that it wasn't just a, a way of getting him to do things his way. He actually let his son blossom his way and he became the good Ladar. I don't want to compare Chazos from Chaim Kanevsky to his father, but in terms of the generation, um, we, we might even, um, it might be safe to to imply that Chaim Kanevsky in his generation was more good Ladar than the stipler was in his generation on some on some level. Not that it's a competition or a contest. I mean to say that, look what happened. It wasn't B'dayavid, you know, I say often, second best is best when there's no first best. So second best is now the best. It wasn't second best. He, he became the best. And it's not only in Adelich Halimid, obviously, it's in a lot of different things. And it's challenging because we all have something we believe in. We, we all have things that we're passionate about. We all have a data that we like. We all have a mukam that we like, a community that we like, a rebbe that we like, a cipher that we like, a minig that we like. There are things that we all have. And we all want to give that over to the children. But then at the same time, we have to remember, we also want to have them have a feeling as well. So if I'm trying to give over to my son my feeling and my passion and cultivate a relationship with Hashem the way I have it, that might not be cultivating anything at all. Certainly not a relationship with Hashem. It's a relationship with me. So this is where it gets a little tricky. Now, it doesn't mean that when a kid is five years old already, you can start asking him, okay, Shefle, you know, what do you want to daven? Who do you want to believe in? What do you like to do? Which mitzvah are you passionate about? But on some level, as children grow older, especially when they go from not chapping yet to when they're old enough to chap, which is that transition somewhere, and you slowly notice that a child likes certain things, relates to certain things, has a feeling for certain things, and slowly, within reason, and responsibly um, and rationally know how to let him inch forward in things that are important to him and her um, that might be helping them cultivate their own relationship with Hashem. I've seen many people who were fighting a kid uh, who, who felt, even later on when they were old enough, let's call it, to like something and they're fighting it. No, it's not a good thing to like. It's not a good place to go. You don't mean it. You're just going because of this. You're just going to be going. And one one situation that I'm thinking about now, one scenario was that the kid Taka stopped fighting. You don't want me to go. I won't go. And was left with nothing. Or another one who I'm thinking about now, again, I'm just throwing examples, who the father forced to come along and to believe and to, and to do and to be loyal and dedicated. It didn't work. So at some point, like you mentioned in your letter, he ran away, right? Because you didn't let him do things in the way that was working for him. So this is just something to, you know, know how to, allow a child to pursue something responsibly. Responsibly means it doesn't, I'm just making clear, it doesn't mean that every 10-year-old should now go with his friend to whatever his friend wants to do and hope that one day he'll find himself. But there's something responsible about slowly acknowledging that this is what's important to him. I see he might mean it. I don't like it, but it's not me. It's his relationship with Hashem. So I think that's something that's that's important. And and yeah, everybody has their own place and their own passion. It doesn't mean everyone has to go to old old conversations. Again, I'm trying to always go between the lines. I don't mean to push anything too extreme about letting everyone just find themselves. And, I don't, and, and also to stay away from, from coaxing everyone into the same lane when you see it's not working. And your, and your motive is that they should cultivate a relationship with Hashem. I heard something beautiful, I think, from a couple of months. I don't know if I, I, don't know if I, if I repeated it yet. Maybe I did. Um, but he said, we, we know, according to a lot of the Mepharshim and Chazal, that Hashem created all of creation the first day, the first day, and then slowly put things in their place. Right? So later on we know that the Irish to put up the Moira Sagdoidum, the sun and the moon and everything around it. He said, Where was the sun before that? Where did Hashem hide the sun that there was no Moira In other words, the sun wasn't giving light. I'm saying at some point Hashem put up the sun like you hang a chandelier and I turned it on and it's working. Right? But where was it before that? He already made this on the first day. Where was the sun? He was hiding the sun? That was the question that he asked. 
And the, just to give the answer, a couple of them said, even the sun, when it's not in the right place, it doesn't shine. And I think that's a beautiful thought when it comes to Chanechabunim, which was what he was implying to Rosh Hashiva of Kabbalah. Even the sun, the one that shines most, but when he's not in the right place, he's not shining. And when it comes to children, and it comes to everyone, for that matter, he has to be in the right place in order to shine. And when you want to have your son or your daughter be in a certain place at a certain time or with a certain attitude, with a certain, you know, and then you want him to shine also and have a relationship with Hashem as well, that might not all happen at the same time. Even the sun has to be in the right place in order to shine. So, yeah, there's no one-size-fits-all. And, and wanting children to cultivate a relationship, again, saying if that's what's meaningful to you, and you understand that it's important that he cultivates a relationship with Hashem, allow him to do so, allow her to do so. Especially, and there's something that I'm not going to go into now, um, but I have to throw it in because I talk about it often, when it comes to sensitive children who are more emotional and more dependent on how they feel, and more susceptible to damage because of their low tolerance and a lot of other things that I spoke about very many times when it comes to Yiddishkeit in general, that's where you have to be even more careful. And they're the ones that are actually more challenging. They're the ones that are more defensive or more defiant or more uh, more hard to please when it comes to everything. And that's where you have to be even more mindful of making sure that they feel good in order to feel comfortable with Hashem. So that's um, number one. point number one. Allowing a child to cultivate a relationship with Hashem by, by, by letting him grow and blossom in a way that, that he could feel good. Number two which is a very general idea, but it's a very true idea, and that's about being a good example when it comes to a relationship with Hashem. I remember hearing uh, once from somebody who was talking about the father would come home, and uh, from davening, for example, and instead of right away um, being angry about why the food is not ready, for example, or whatever else, he would say, wow, it was such a good davening. Ah, it was just so geschmack, you know, the, the varmkeit, or whatever. You know, if he would do that, then it would slowly would go over to the children. And I remember hearing that and thinking to myself, one second, there's a chen of drusha or a, or a davening drusha. I mean, you have to really be holding by that in order to do it. Right? In other words, it, you, can't, you can't fake it, right? You can't come home and start talking about the davening if you were just waiting a whole time to get out of there. So, you, know, you need a piece of advice to be able to fulfill that piece of advice. How do I come home with that attitude of, wow, that was such a wonderful davening? So that, that question always bothered me and still bothers me. And I know that it's not an easy question to answer. My point is just that sometimes people are so are so um, um, hypocritical when it comes to this, trying to get their kids to have a relationship with Hashem, or trying to get their kids to do the right thing in general, forget about a relationship with Hashem. And the kids see through it, they get old enough, and they start realizing that you're just telling them what to do. You don't do it. You know, I don't do it because I'm already older. You know how many times I heard this from people? I, I hear it even from the fathers, not only, not only from the children. I hear people tell me. I tell my son, you should go learn Shabbos afternoon. So he asks me, how come you're allowed to sit on the couch with a newspaper? I said, because I work hard a whole week. So I also work hard a whole week. And he, it starts becoming a whole debate. Now, you could, you could sit on the couch with a paper. You could. And, I, and you do work hard a whole week. And I'm not questioning anyone who does so. But if you're trying to teach your children to do things, or to feel things, or to be passionate about things that, that you don't have, just remember, it's much harder for them. So if your question is, how do I get them to do it? You do it by example. It doesn't happen in a day. When they're too young to chop, they might not chop yet. And when they get older, they might be noticing it and have what to copy. Does it happen automatically? They're too old now, and you're not... No, but it's not only about what you say. It's about what you do, and you show that you're happy to be a Yid, and you're happy to serve Hashem, and you enjoy it. And not just because it works for you, because, you know, the, but because it's like a Gishmak, and you promote the Gishmak, which every Machanach will tell you, that, that a house, that a home that promotes the Gishmak in Yiddishkeit has a better chance, like I said before, of, of having everyone uh, enjoy it. When it's too critical and too 
demanding and too negative and too challenging. Well, obviously, you know, people don't like that, right? So it's not just about him being young or old. It's about it's about having him see and feel that this is a gishmaka thing to do. Okay, number three. I'll do this briefly because, again, it's a bigger um, topic. But having a relationship with children in general, if you want to be what you call the decisive factor in your child's life and be a stronger influence on your kid than other people are, you want to be the one that's most connected. And like I say again, especially with emotional children who are so dependent on how they feel and so much of what they take from anyone has to do with how they feel about the relationship with that person, you want to have a relationship with them on their terms, on their terms, with their age. Every parent is at least 20 years older than their children. That makes a generation gap, an age gap, it makes a lot of different things that if you want to be close with some children, you really have to um, do it on their terms. And it's very important to be able to have the right influence on children. Number four, again briefly, is to be invested in this. If you want to be there to help your children grow into the help, happiest and healthiest and most nishanach digger children that there are, you want to be invested in this. Is that word from the Rashab that I misquote or misquote often about how people should be um, contemplating half hour a day, I think he said, on the chinuch of their children. Again, it's not, the point is not to obsess over it or to have OCD over it or to lose sleep necessarily, but to be invested, to be invested in in, in the chinuch of your children. I, I hear this from people sometimes telling me, like, I, I, put, I put him in the best moiser, I, I got him to the best school, I got the best tutor. It's, it's nice, but again, that was part of the question, like, what's the best setup? There's no setup. You can't set up something and have the track flow and be guaranteed about the results. It's about being invested and caring and doing your best as well. So I think it's very important um, of, of knowing the, the importance of this. I don't remember who was telling me, maybe I quoted it recently. Um, somebody said something about moving to a new neighborhood uh, or where to live. There was a discussion about where to live. And the advice, the Das Torah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember who I was quoting, was that you first, the first thing you look for is a good chinuch for the children. The next thing is a panusa. And then you can look for whatever works out best. In other words, to, to look for a neighborhood based on the price of real estate and then start looking for the best option of chinuch, you know, because I definitely want the best for my son, that's not the way to do it. That's not the way to do it. The chinuch of your children is first. And when you're invested in that, and it means the most to you, that your children, again, cultivate that relationship with Hashem and are passionate about Yiddishkeit and grow up to be the healthiest and eldest of people based on what you want from them, then that should be the first, the first um, 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 criteria when it comes to looking for where to live. Even if it's going to cost you more. Instead of finding cheap housing and then trying to figure out how to, whatever. That, that's just the, the point. So it's, it's definitely very important to be invested in Chenechabonim. There are people who have this shita. It looks like it's a shita, I think, about, no, I don't tell my kids what to do. I let them be. I let them grow. Again, if you're doing it... Um, because you're invested in the chinuch and you believe that for this child that works, or in general you believe it works, go ahead. But if it's coming from, this is not my thing, I do my own thing, I hope, let them find it, it worked for me. No, you want to be invested in the chinuch You want to be invested in the chinuch it's not, it's not a question. There's too much on the other side, there's too many people, there's too many influences on the other side waiting to lure and pull and affect your child, that if you're not invested in doing what you could, again, not obsessive and not controlling, not dictating, not demanding, but being there and doing what you could, and I yourself, to, to have your children grow and, 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 and do the right thing. If you're going to check out and say, listen, I don't believe in it, or, or I believe you don't have to, or I'm like, that person didn't do it, then yeah, you, you're probably giving up a lot of opportunities that you could have had to have better results and I yourself with children growing right. And number five is the most important, and that is davening to Hashem. Again, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not finishing off of this because this is what you have to do, because you have to say it. No, this is everything. 
when people come into when people get to crisis mode, Chazvushulim, and things are really bad, that's when they start davening very passionately. And you should daven then too. And it's never too late. And Hashem can always help. But this is what you have to do all along. I don't know if I repeated this recently, but I, I repeated it to many people already. But I want to repeat it. I, I want to say it now. I don't know if I said it in the class or not, but it's good to hear again, just to drive home the point. Somebody was telling me about a, a Shabbaton, a big family got together. Going back quite a while already, actually, but I heard it recently. And the father, who Hashem was able to marry off all children, ten children, and Hashem all were erluk, and all had all shamatari mitzvahs, and all had nice families already, and all you know, a lot of nachas, a lot of nachas, and I venture everyone should have that kind of nachas, and I myself. Um, and he, 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 he made a comment. Something like, you know, if I would have known that everything would turn out so so nice and so well, and all the children would, you know, be going the way, grow up the way I wanted them to, etc., etc., I would have had a much calmer life. And you know how you know how anxious I was over the years, not knowing if this one would be successful, if this one would learn well, if this one would do a good shidduch, if this one would have an You know how anxious I was. I, I could I could have lived so much calmer and peacefully if only I would have known. Now, when you think about it, again, I, I understand the feeling, and I'm happy for this person that he had a lot of nachos. And I think he does, what he didn't realize was that it was that angst, I don't want to call it anxiety, but it was the angst, it was the feeling of the, un, of the uncertainty, what's going to be with my children, that made him daven, made him invest efforts and energy, and do the best he could, and only the best he could, and nobody could do better than they could, and nobody's guaranteed, um, to do what he could, to have other children. And now, Baruch Hashem, 30 years later, he's, he's you know, reaping the benefits and, and the rewards of, of all that he invested. To look back and say, Oh, it's a shame I lost so much sleep over my kid's chinuch, you know. It turned out so good anyway. Nothing happens by itself. So if you're davening and you're passionate about it, and it's and, and I don't want to use the word obsessing because you shouldn't obsess and it's not healthy, but when you're obsessed about whatever you could do and about asking Hashem to have your children grow and be the Elish the Eden they could be, that's what eventually will help it happen. yourself. So that's um, number five. Let me just go over briefly, very briefly, to the other point that you mentioned about accepting people um, that, that do things differently than you and you're disgusted by it and, and whatever else. Again, you mentioned a sibling, but it could be kids as well. It could be a spouse as well. I'm just mentioning. It could be neighbors. It could be anyone. How do you accept somebody who's doing things that you really believe are terrible? Let's just put it very briefly. How do you accept someone like that? Now, obviously, when it's, when it's only somebody living across the street or somebody you read about, it's much simpler, right, uh, than when somebody close to you, somebody you care about. But that very reasoning just helps us, that, that very point helps us understand that it's all emotional. I mean, the reason why you're more tolerant of somebody you don't know or you don't feel for doing the wrong thing, as opposed to when it's somebody you're close with, is not so much because the thing is no good and you're disgusted by the behavior as much as it's close to home. Hey, I don't like what you're doing. Sometimes it's a pride issue. Sometimes it's a ego issue. Sometimes it's a, about, just a personal issue, like how can you do this to me? Why don't you care more about me? And yes, sometimes it's because you care about the person and love them so much that their bad choices really do affect you. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's, not, it's never that. I'm saying there's a lot of emotions to it and not necessarily is the issue itself. The Tanya talks a lot about accepting other people, even those with chayvless noisoy. Even somebody who you already gave him the, the miser, the techocha, and he didn't do the right thing, and it's already a mitzvah to hate him, you still have to love that person as well. And the Tanya talks about different ideas about how to love someone and hate them at the same time. But I think it all boils down to understanding what the Tanya introduces early on, which is what I find to be one of the biggest chadishim in Saifar Tanya. I like the Saifar Tanya. I learn it a lot and I teach it every week also a class in Tanya. About a person being two people. This helps people accept themselves and understand themselves as well as other people. You're not one person. You're not one person who's pulled in different directions. You're two different people. 
It's not so different than Rivki Yimayni when she heard So it's not one person going two directions, it's two people. When you see somebody struggling, when you see somebody doing the wrong thing, first of all, it's important to understand this person has a struggle. And the Sefer Tani talks about that as well. This person has a struggle. I don't know what his struggle is. I know what mine are. Mine I could justify, I could accept, I could tolerate. I'm not disgusted by my behaviors. You know, that, that famous quote, which, uh, don't hate me because I sin differently than you. I know my challenges. I understand them. I'm not disgusted by them. I got used to them. I justify them. Right? I, I, could, I could rationalize why I do different things. But you, how could you do that? That To me, that is intolerable. So I should be disgusted by you. To you, it's not intolerable. You're dealing with something that I'm not dealing with. That's, that's A. B, you're also two different people. The fact that you're being pulled to different behaviors or different things that are no good doesn't mean that's who you are and I'll be disgusted by you. It doesn't mean I can't accept you as a person. It doesn't even mean that I'm not identifying you as that. I know that there's a whole, whole other part to you that wants to be good and is trying to be good. Maybe trying your best, maybe not trying your best, maybe you could try harder. It's not, it's not my place to judge you. I could accept you for who you are and realize that you're dealing with things that I'm not dealing with as well as the fact that that's not who you are. It's not an identity. And again, those are very... It was brief... Um, but there's a lot to discuss about that as well. So let me just let me just finish with this. As parents, we want to do our best, and we should be doing our best. We should be trying. We should be davening. We should be invested. Um, we shouldn't be taking all the credit and and not even all the blame for the outcome. And we shouldn't be looking for the guaranteed methods because there aren't they aren't there. We should be trying. We should be accepting those who are working along with us, the children. We should be accepting those that are challenging us. We should be accepting the people around us that are trying their best and excited, turning to Hashem, davening, being the best that we could be, investing the most that we could be in the message of my Irish self. See a lot of nachas with our children.